Happy Tuesday. I hope you had a great week. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I am hosting a virtual retreat series with three other amazing women. If you would like to check out the video recording of that episode and to get your tickets, please visit the virtual retreat series page at BehindThePinkRibbon.com. Cheryl Wolgamuth is my guest on this week's episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. She was diagnosed with stage two, grade two, ER positive invasive ductal carcinoma in October 2012 at the age of 50, following what I would consider a roller coaster ride to get to that diagnosis. She was initially told that she had breast cancer, then she was told that she didn't have breast cancer, and then told again that she did in fact have breast cancer. She also talks about her family history, her treatments, and dealing with the emotions of a breast cancer diagnosis. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. It's so nice to have you with me today. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's talk about the beginning of your journey. How did you find out that you had breast cancer? Well, I've always been a little vigilant because my mom had breast cancer when she was in her early 30s. And I had several breast lumpectomies that were all benign. But then in the beginning of 2012, I started losing weight without trying to. And after I'd lost 10 pounds in six weeks, I phoned my doctor's office and said, I'm sure you don't get very many phone calls about this, but I'm not trying to lose weight. I know it's January, New Year's resolution, but that's not me. And I'm losing weight. And so I made a doctor's appointment. And at that doctor's appointment, um, they ordered a CT scan of my uh, lungs and my abdomen. And so I had that and nothing showed on it. Um, there was a little note in my, it's called the AP access, but they said that wasn't anything worth worrying about. I was fine. That was also the time of year I usually get my annual mammogram and that showed something abnormal for the second year in a row. And for the second year in a row, they did a, uh, ultrasound and decided it was a cyst. Oh, wow. So, um, I just kept on losing weight and they, they sent me to, uh, specialists who couldn't figure it out either. And the weight just kept on, kept on dropping. How long I, did this go on for? Well, I, so I saw my doctor in February and, um, my official diagnosis didn't come until October. Oh, my goodness. But in May, I saw my geneticist. I have a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos, and I, 
I stopped and I saw him and he said, you've been scanned every which way. If you had cancer, they would have found it by now. And so um, that made me feel a little bit better, but they still couldn't figure it out. And I, I mentioned to my doctor, you know, what about that node in my in my my chest and he said well protocol is to do a repeat ultrasound or repeat scan in three months so he said let's do that so I had that done and I had the CT report and the first CT report said nothing about a uh, nothing about a breast lump the second one went huh there was a breast lump in that first one and look it's grown we should biopsy that oh no I was so stunned. I was, I didn't know there had been a breast lump the first time around. I mean, yeah, I would be stunned too. I mean, did you, did you feel anything yourself in terms of a breast lump? Okay. No, I didn't. Uh, It turned out that the breast lump was exactly the same place where the cyst had shown on my ultrasound, on my mammogram and on the ultrasound. Oh. So they sent me for a, fine needle biopsy and um, was supposed to wait a week to get the results of that and two days later I was in uh, a specialist office and and uh, we talked and he didn't have any answers and he just said let's do a follow-up in a few months and and I walked out his office door and I turned around and I stuck my head back in and I said I realize people are getting shitty news every single day. And while I don't like not having an answer to why I'm losing a weight, at least I'm not getting shitty news. And I turned and I walked out. And and I went and I stood at the counter waiting for his receptionist to book my follow-up appointment. And I knew she was hard to get a hold of on the phone. So I stood there thinking, well, will I phone her later or will I just wait? And while I was waiting, the specialist came out of his office and said, can I can I see you for a second? And I thought, oh, well, maybe he's thought of something, you know, that we can do. And while I had been in his office, his beeper had gone. And that beeper had been my doctor trying to get a hold of him because they could see that I had checked in at the hospital and I was seeing him. And they had my biopsy report and it showed that I had breast cancer. Oh, wow. So I was by myself. He told me. It was like, well, actually, honestly, I just sat there and said, fuck. And I just like, he showed me the, he showed me the results of the pathology. He tried to be positive. Um, I was, of course, really shook up. I made my way to the car. I had got a phone call from my husband while I was in the office that said, call me, it's urgent. So I knew that our doctor had tried to get a hold of me and okay. I got a hold of him. Yeah, I was going to say it sounded like he knew already. He he, he didn't because she hadn't oh, he didn't. said anything. Oh. She had left a message on her home phone. Got it. Okay. But he, And so I sat in my car and I called him. And then I drove right to my doctor's office and saw her. Oh, my gosh. So. So they moved really quickly, and and in two days, I saw a surgeon. Well, I'm glad that um, they moved. I mean, you know, the initial part of this didn't move quickly. 
you know, like you knew something was wrong. You, mm-hmm. you know, something in your body obviously was saying, you know, something's not right. You're losing a lot of weight. You weren't even trying. Um, so you knew that there was something going on. So that part did not move fast, but I am glad that at least, you know, they got you in pretty quickly. Cause I know, you know, I hear different things, um, you know, in terms of different experiences in Canada, um, you know, with the healthcare system. So I know sometimes it moves slower and I know sometimes it moves faster. So I am glad that they moved at least faster for you once you did get that diagnosis. Yes, I'm, I was really grateful for that. Um, I went to the surgeon, my husband came with me. He explained, you know, my choices, I could have a lumpectomy or I could have a mastectomy. He said lumpectomy plus radiation is considered the same as having a mastectomy. I have a, a, a huge family history of breast cancer in our family. Okay, I he was going to ask because you said your mom, did you say your mom was yeah. diagnosed in her 30s or your 30s? In her 30s. In her 30s, and okay. And then she had it again at 51 on the same side. Oh, wow. They figured they missed just a few nodes and uh, it took 17 years for it to grow big enough to become a lump. Oh, my gosh. But she had a maternal aunt. She had a first cousin, that aunt's daughter, with breast cancer. I've since had two first cousins on my mom's side with breast cancer. So it's there, there's a lot of us, even though our genetics have come back with nothing that they can discern that's genetic. Okay. Um, there, there's obviously something. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask the question about genetics, um, but it sounds like you've already done that and um, fascinating that nothing came back. Yes. My geneticist says that all breast cancer has a genetic base. He said, we just haven't found the one for yours yet. Yeah, I feel like there are definitely a lot more genetic mutations that exist. I mean, obviously, because they've gone from, you know, just the BRCA1, BRCA2 to now, you know, the Czech um, mutation, the PALB2, you know. So they're they're out there. It's just that they haven't been found yet. So I would agree. Yes. And so I saw him on a Thursday Um no, I saw him on a Tuesday. I was going to have the mastectomy the following Tuesday. So how many so, lumpectomies did you have before this? Um, sorry to cut you off. I, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, you said that you had several lumpectomies um, previously that were benign. Mm-hmm. I had four. <sighs> okay. Okay. And did that kind of weigh into the decision to have a mastectomy or was it like something else? You know, I... I, um, my geneticist, I'm, so I saw the surgeon on the Tuesday, on the Thursday, I went and saw my geneticist. He told me because of my connective tissue disorder to avoid radiation at all possible. And so that helped. And I also knew mentally, I couldn't handle the thought of having a lumpectomy. And then what if, you know, what if there were cancer cells somewhere else and they missed them? I, I just thought that I would be more comfortable with that decision yeah so that Thursday I had seen my geneticist and late that day my family doctor phoned me and said we have incredible news for you Cheryl they mixed up your pathology report with somebody else Uh. and you don't 
and you don't have breast cancer. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Like I, so, <laughs> sorry, I'm at a loss for words. So that was on Thursday. I was going to have the mastectomy on the Tuesday coming up. Holy cow. And I, I was stunned. I know I should have been thrilled, but I was so stunned with it brought up so much emotion. I couldn't function. And then it meant we also didn't have an answer for my weight loss. Right. And I can tell you there's something about looking in the mirror and seeing that um, you've lost however much weight since the day before and your muscles are wasting. Mm -hmm. That is so disconcerting. I, it, it's, it's awful. It's, it's just plain awful. And I would do things like, oh, let's eat a bag of chips and see, like a big bag of chips. Right. Well, yeah, you, you lost another couple of pounds. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. So there I was being told that, you know, I didn't have breast cancer. My surgeon had ordered a, an emergency breast MRI that for the day before my supposed mastectomy just to make sure that there was no breast cancer anywhere else in that breast so that I would have all the information necessary to be able to decide, did I want a lumpectomy or mastectomy? He told me I could wait until the day of surgery to tell him. And so when this news all happened, he phoned me and said, let's just go ahead with the breast MRI. Good and for him. That decision saved my life. Yeah. he's told He told me that. He said, that decision saved your life. So I went... I went for the MRI. Um, I knew the person that was working in there, and I said, if this shows something, I'm going to be so livid, so livid. And I got in the machine, and, and you know, MRI machines are so loud and vibrating, and I'm vibrating with anger in there. And uh, so that's the Monday, and I... I went to see a follow-up appointment with him and he was basically wanting the follow-up just to see how I was emotionally. None of us were expecting the breast MRI to show anything. And my husband and I watched him read the screen. It was almost as, like an afterthought at the end of the appointment. And we watched him reading it to himself, scanning it. And all of a sudden his lips stopped moving and both of our hearts just sunk. So he hadn't he, necessarily looked at that prior to your appointment. So he had no, he had not looked at it. So he was reading it for the first time. Wow. And we just knew. And he said, it shows that you have a intermediate probability of malignancy in a lump that's right where the biopsy was. And I was just done by that point. And he was going on holidays and emotionally I couldn't take anymore. So he said, let's just take some time. I'm going on holidays. Come see me when I'm back and let's decide what to do about that lump. So was this the same, was this the same person that gave you the news initially? Like you, you, you said it was a specialist that had no. said previously, okay, so this is a different this person, is a this surgeon. is a surgeon. Okay. This is the surgeon that was going to do my mastectomy. Okay. And, you know, the, the mix-up in pathology so shook him. 
that he told me that he demanded two reports on the next mastectomies he was going to do because he realized, you know, it's terrifying. He had been five days away from, you know, giving me a mastectomy that, as far as we knew, I did not need. Right. And um, he had never encountered that before. And so he went on holidays, and we didn't really think a lot of it, other than I decided, I am so tired of this lump showing up on mammograms. I'm tired of it showing up on tests. I just want that lump out of there. And he had given me three options. I think it was three. He had said, you can have a lumpectomy. You can have uh, maybe two options or a mammatome, mammatome, mammatome. Sorry. You're good. I don't know what it is. (laughs) He said it's where they put in a needle and they suck out the whole lump and then they biopsy it. And he said, so that if it is malignant, They've already got almost all of it anyway. The only thing is, I because I live so in a remote community, I would have to travel eight hours and start over with new medical team. And I, I oh, just, yeah, that, I, yeah. I mean, I look obviously that would have been your decision, but your story so far, I would have been like, look, buddy, no. <laughs> oh, I know the other option is I could have a need. I could have a, a needle biopsy. Okay. Uh, and um, I saw, I'm tired of the, the lump being there. So, yeah. yeah. So I went to the follow-up appointment. I was really angry that day, so full of emotion. And he came in, and I just said, I want a lump back to me. And him and my husband looked at me like I could tell they thought, you're taking the most invasive choice of all the choices. Why? And I'm like, I'm tired of this lump showing up on test. Get it out of there. Just, I'm done. And he said, oh, I can tell that you've made your decision. And he went and got all the paperwork. I signed it that day. Um, I had to wait three weeks for the surgery. That's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. And I was emotionally so done that I actually went off of work at that point. Because I, I had been on such a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, yes, yes, you have cancer. Oh, oops, no, you don't. And so I had the lumpectomy, went into it, none of us expecting it to be cancer. He had looked at, you know, that MRI result, intermediate probability. He didn't think, you know, he didn't think that it was. So the day of the lumpectomy, I I went to radiology where they stuck a wire into the lump. And I thought, that's exactly the place I've already had biopsied. I'm going to have my breast disfigured for something they've already checked. And I went from radiology over to mammography. And I said to the technician, I've already had this biopsy. Like, what if they're taking out something that they've already know is a cancer? And she was very much hands off, didn't want to engage with me on that level. I had the, the mammogram. I went up and... I had the surgery, and the last thing the doctor said to me was, when you come see me in a week about your drain tube, I, sh- I won't have the pathology report back by then, I don't think. So I, uh, I went to that appointment about the drain tube. We, 
you know, I, because of my Ehlers-Danlos, I drained lots of fluid and we had that conversation and I had gone to the appointment by myself and he asked where my husband was and I told him he was teaching and he finally looked at me and said, there's a glitch in all this. That lump was cancerous. Oh my gosh. And the needle biopsy had missed the lump. Oh. So. So they extracted yes. tissue that wasn't even like a part of the, the lump or the tumor. Like they extracted good tissue is basically what he's saying. Yes. That's terrifying. It is. I've since told them don't ever expect that I would get a needle biopsy ever again. Oh my gosh. Like I'm, I'm just, I mean, I, first of all, I am sorry for your experience. I mean, that is one heck of a roller coaster to have to be on. Um, And not only have you been told that you had breast cancer twice, but you've been told twice when you were by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, my husband had asked me that day, he said, do you want me to come with you? And I said, oh, no, it's just a drain tube checkup. I said, if it was the call, you know, the one that we hope we don't ever get, of course I want you with me. But this is just about the drain tube. And, um, yeah. Wow. And it, and it used to be here when I had all my lumpectomies before, they would give you an option. They would say you can either have a needle biopsy or you can have a lumpectomy and a needle biopsy is 95% accurate and a lumpectomy is 100%. And I always chose a lumpectomy. Well, yeah. yeah. Guess what? I was in that 5%. Yeah. Wow. And um, so we had to make plans for me to have the mastectomy. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if that then shifted to you going back to the mastectomy. It did because the pathology report showed that um, it was, you know, millimeters of of clean around where they mm-hmm. took and they, and they, and the surgeon just said, they want me to go back in and take more tissue because it's so close. And I said, just, let's just take yeah. it all. I, I, I'm really done now. Right. So, and, um, did they talk about chemo at all? Was that another part? He said oh. at that appointment, he said, if your lymph nodes are clear, you won't need chemo. Okay. That's what that's what he told me at that at that point. So I I left the office. Um, my husband was still teaching. I didn't feel comfortable telling anybody else until I told him first. Sure. So I sat in the stairwell across from the classroom where he was teaching, and oh my god, waited waited for him to come out and. You know, he came out and came and introduced me to, he's a, he teaches at a college, so it's post-secondary and adult students. And he brought over a student to introduce to me, and we made small talk, and I pretended everything was fine. 
and you know we held hands and went walking down the hallway by ourselves and I just stopped I just tugged on his hand and stopped and he looked at me and I looked at him and I didn't say anything and he just said really and I said really really and so then we went home and we phoned all the people that we had phoned yes I have cancer no I don't have cancer oh my god to to phone them a third time to say I really do have cancer yeah I mean that's for everybody everybody involved it's a roller coaster yeah and I mean you know sometimes there are struggles with having that trust with the medical field and this would be a prime example of reasons why Mm -hmm. oh my gosh so so did you do the mastectomy with did you do reconstruction or did you opt to go flat um i opted to go flat my geneticist had told me that because of the connective tissue disorder i was not eligible for anything other than um implants okay and i have so many allergies and i knew that my body wouldn't be happy with an implant right and and honestly because i would have no nipple left and no sensation i was like no (laughs) no just let's just take it off and so i went to my pre-op appointment and and the nurse said oh you're small breasted you're you're incision will only be and she made you know put her two fingers up about maybe four to six inches apart and thankfully I'd had a friend who'd had a mastectomy the month previous and she had showed me her scar so I I, you know I woke up with a a, a 28 stitches oh wow uh, a foot long incision I was gonna say I feel like that's not four to six inches no Wow. And uh, how do you say goodbye to your breast? Yeah. You know, you've nursed children. Sexually, it's, you know, my husband is a boob man. Uh, Yeah. It's hard. It was was hard. I I really tried to honor my breast and that I was going to lose it and come to some kind of not I don't know if peace is the word but yeah just I don't not I don't know what the word is yeah well and I don't know like at least for me like I've never I've never found the peace like I I do have implants I did opt to do implants but I still have never you know every single time we get dressed it's a reminder mm-hmm. every single time like it's not something that just goes away. There is a daily reminder every single day of what has happened. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 13 years out and I don't know that I would say that I am at peace or, Mm -hmm. you know, like that was a, exactly what you said. I mean, I, I don't have children, so it wasn't that part of it, but you know, it was a, it was a part of me and Mm -hmm. it's a huge part of the sexuality and to not have that, you know, like that's still a, it's, for me, it's still a process. 
I suppose is the easiest way to, to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when I woke, when I woke up in recovery, it hit me so hard that my breast was gone that I, I started to sob from the very core of my being and I sobbed so hard that my back arched every sob and I couldn't stop it and I just sobbed and sobbed and the recovery room nurse leaned down and whispered in my ear I can't do anything for your emotional pain but I but I can dry your tears and she did and it was like I see her as the first person in my journey for healing because yeah. she she had been a nurse a long time uh, she could have been cynical that look what anesthetics doing to this patient when she just shut up already right she could have she could have had all kinds of reactions mm-hmm. but the fact that she recognized the emotional pain I was in and she offered that and she spoke it out loud it was like she gave me permission to let this be as big of a deal as it really was yeah and truly those kind of nurses i hate to say it at least from what i have heard and experienced are kind of few and far between yes yes and so when they brought me back up to my room, she she was part of the team that brought me up to my room. And I remember just as they were transferring me back into my bed, this crisscross of, of arms above my head, and I found her wrist, and I reached up and I grabbed it, and I held it until she stopped and looked at me so I could just say thank you oh. to her. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it meant as much to her as it did to you. I'm sure I she so. probably hasn't forgotten that experience. I mean, that's a... I hope so. Yeah, I have no no doubt. Because, um, that I mean, that's intense. That's, um, I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like it's hard to forget those kind of things when it's that emotional. And when you're, you know, sitting, you're just going about your shift, right? And the recovery. And then you come across a patient who is now at the beginning stage of processing what has happened. Yeah. I, I'm so grateful for her. Yeah. I'm so grateful that she recognized and not only recognized, but offered to do what she could. And, um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. sometimes it's it's exactly that, right? Like it's not about you know trying to I don't know, like I feel like so many times people tried to fix me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and it was never about fixing, right? Like I I didn't want to be fixed. The doctors were going to do that. The doctors were going to fix the issue. But the emotional stuff, like that stuff isn't thing you know like I didn't need to be fixed I just needed to be able to feel and I needed to experience and be heard yes 
Yeah. And yeah. be and and have people that were okay with me experiencing feeling and allowing my voice to be heard. I I found the longer that that time went on and the longer it took me to process my circle of people who were willing to hear me Mm -hmm. became almost non-existent. Yes. Um, You know, when I had my original diagnosis, a family member told me about how her friend had it so much worse. Oh my gosh. Told me me why. And so when I got the cancer diagnosis for the second time, I told somebody else in the family, I will not give her an opportunity to do that to me a second time. So please, will you phone her? Because I, I won't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, no, no. Like, I have very strongly felt that I don't ever want anybody to feel like my circumstances or somebody else's circumstances is worse than somebody else's. Like we are all given different things to deal with in our lives and they all impact us. And I do a good enough job of diminishing my own experience at the best of times. Exactly. <laughs> so if I so if I'm going to be brave enough to experience it fully, um, don't shit on my parade. You know, yeah. don't. Oh, yeah. Don't step in and do those things because I shut down immediately when that happens, mm-hmm. and it's just so disappointing. It is. I had a I had a coworker. Actually, I had two coworkers <laughs> um, at the time of my my diagnosis, who did not like me, and that was fine. Um, but pretty much had suggested that I made up my cancer diagnosis. So oh. I get it. I get having people that have diminished that diagnosis, and it's hard. It is really hard. Oh, I I can't imagine people thinking that somebody would make that up for fun. Right? Like, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> if I wanted attention, there's way less I radical know. ways to get it. I was like, I feel like this is not exactly the way I would have gone about this. Um, <laughs> so no, <laughs> not at all. And I, you know, I have to say that one of the most satisfying things that I ever did. So I left that. I left that job about five years ago, Um, but the day that I, my very last day, well, my very last day, one of my coworkers didn't even say a peep to me. Um, She walked out the door and never looked back, which is fine. I mean, that's more representative of her character than mine, but um, one of them sat in my office and I just looked at her and I, you know, I said, I have two things I need to tell you and it's not for you, it's for me. And I said, one, I never had an affair with my best friend, like you told everybody I did, and two... I never lied about having breast cancer and her mouth dropped to the floor. So good for you. Yeah. So I get it. Like I get where you're coming from. Um, And it's really disappointing. It is so disappointing to have to hear those things coming from people that, you know, especially somebody that's related. Yes. I wasn't close to her and I, I won't take a chance now on being vulnerable no. with her no. be, because she hasn't earned the right to hear my story. Absolutely. 
No, and there is nothing to feel bad about that because you're right. I mean, she's, yeah. Sorry, I, I can't even, I just, I can't, like, it was, it was bad enough when it was people that I knew and I worked with. I can't imagine having somebody that was my relative, even if I wasn't close to them, mm-hmm. saying something like that. So, no, she doesn't deserve your time. No. And the hard thing is, is to come to the place of realizing somebody, you don't know what you don't know. And if you haven't befriended your own pain, you cannot, you're not capable of sitting in the muck with somebody else's pain. You right. just can't do it. And I don't know why I kept expecting that people could do it who couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's okay that they can't do that, but at least be forward about it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, just, just say it. Like, don't, you know, I feel like there are people that do things just so that they don't have to sit in that pain, right? They start disappearing. Um, Mm -hmm. They start not calling or, you know, whatever the case might be. Like, just be, Mm -hmm. just be okay with that. Like, just tell me. (laughs) Yes. You know, that you're not okay to be in that space. And, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll judge you. for it because I have expectations, right? Like I put my parameters around people. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. You know, we all have our expectations of people and what we want them to do. And when it's not right, we make judgments. And I think that's just part of being human. Yes. But really like, just be truthful about it. Like just say, I can't be in this space. Let me judge you and then move on. (laughs) 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 And then I'll find somebody that can sit in that space with me. Yes. Yes. But it's so exhausting having to find those people. It is. It's so disappointing that there's, that in my case anyway, there was so few and, um, and it was lonely. It was a lonely place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly believe that, um, the loneliest patients are cancer patients and that's even, shown in studies where um, cancer patients are less likely to be hugged. Mm. Yeah. So I wholeheartedly believe um, that we are just a lonely group of people. And then we can't, when we can't find people within that community, our own community that we can't connect with either, that makes it twice mm. as hard, I think, or 10 times as yeah. hard. It does. It really it really does make it difficult. The hard, the other hard part is I had people that I knew who had gone through it who I felt weren't able to be honest with me either. They were really positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, what, is it a character flaw of mine? But I, I can't stand that. Like, please, please tell me. Please show me your humanity in this. Right. Please, sh- please show me how the hard parts, dark parts, the the lonely parts. Don't tell me about how God is good and saw you through it, and you're just full of all this gratitude. Because to me, it's not an either or thing; it's a both and. Like at some mm-hmm. point, I had a I had somebody say to me, you know, to be grateful that 
I was going to live. Um, there are all these, you know, these good things. And it took every ounce of, I'm not sure what within me to look at her and say, I can be grateful and I can be grieving. Yep. And so she didn't hear me. And so she reworded how I needed to be grateful. And I had to say it another time. I can be grateful and grieving. It doesn't, it's not either or, it's both and. Right. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I mean, I, I share that same sentiment. You know, I, there were times where I was positive. There were times where I wasn't. There were times where I laughed and there were times when I cried. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't always. And sometimes it was both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the yeah. dark humor. Yay yes. for the dark humor. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I came home from the hospital after my mastectomy and I, I had so many flowers brought in the hospital, like so many, and I love flowers and they were beautiful. And, and at the time my home had a, a bay window in the living room and um, I needed my sisters to come be with me afterwards. And so we flew them to where we lived through the generosity of a friend with air miles and, and they came and, and my bay window had all these flowers. And I said, it looks like a funeral and I roared with laughter and nobody else <laughs> and nobody else, did. <laughs> nobody else did and I'm like you know and at that point we didn't know was I gonna die was I gonna live we didn't know my right. sisters were sure that I was gonna die so they didn't see any humor in it but I sure did <laughs> yeah I remember that like there were a couple of times where I would say something and somebody's mouth would drop and I would be laughing hysterically and I'm like oh no Nobody else. Just for me. Okay. Well, you know, I saw, before my surgery, I saw a friend at a community gathering. I hadn't seen her in a long time, and I had lost all this weight. So by the time I got diagnosed, I had lost almost 50 pounds. Oh, wow. And so when you hugged me, I was bony. Like, I was, yeah, I was, I was bony. It's awful. And she hugged me and said, you look fantastic. And I whispered in her ear, that's what having cancer will do for you. (laughs) (laughs) And and we both laughed. We both laughed, but I'm not quite sure she knew what to do with it. I'm sure. I'm sure she probably took her cue from you um, (laughs) (laughs) to make sure that you were laughing first. Um, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is... yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, sometimes that's just what we have to do. Like just, I, you know, I, I, um, I tell people like you have to figure out what works for you to help yourself heal. Like people can't tell you what to do, you know, and if that's humor and it's dark humor, by all means go for it. You know, like it doesn't have to be about flowers and, you know, little pink ribbons and, you know, it doesn't have to be that. If you want it to be that, that's fine. Whatever. Like, it's for you, not for anybody else. Yes. Yes. So, you yeah. know, I, I came home from the mastectomy and not knowing any of it and what was going to happen next. And I had it in October, and I never had a definitive answer till February, what my treatment plan was. Wow. It was a very long time. I... I saw the people at the cancer center. It was a oncologist that I knew personally. Um, 
she, she said, here's all the options, gave me percentages of here's what the people who had chemo, here's what happened when they took tamoxifen, here's your options, go away, think about it, let us know what you decide. And I left that appointment. My body was screaming at me, no to chemo, no to tamoxifen. And we left that appointment and I said to my husband, no, no to all of it. And he said, I think you need to do yes. You need to do everything because he was scared I would die if I didn't. Yeah. My lymph glands were clear. Um, One pathology report said that they thought that the cancer had gone into my bloodstream, but it was a maybe. I still live with that maybe. I hate that maybe. Yeah. Very much. Um, so they said I could ask for a second opinion, and it took everything in me to phone and say, I want a second opinion because the doctor is a friend. Yeah. And I just thought, I can't. I, I need a second opinion. So it, it took a while because I had to travel five hours to where the second opinion was and got this oncologist called Dr. Joy. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he was, he was great. And he said to me point blank in regards to me having the connective tissue disease, if you bleed out while we do the chemo, we have made the wrong choice. So we have to be sure that chemo is the right choice for you. And at the time um, in Alberta where I live, the Alberta Health Association did not cover Oncotype DX testing. Mm -hmm. And he was lobbying the government to get them to cover it. And the company in California had given him 30 free tests, and I was number three to get it. Oh, wow. And so it took a while for that. It, it took a long time, actually, for that to go through. They had to find my pathology slides and send them. And in the meantime, he put me on tamoxifen. Um, my body still said no, but there was that part of me that wanted to be seen as a compliant patient. And I wish, I wish they would have explained to me what it meant and it was only months later that a doctor explained to me that, you know, here you are with your estrogen up here. In the normal process, women's estrogen just decreases gradually, gradually, and you have none. He said, when you went on tamoxifen, you were way up here, and the next day you were at the bottom of the cliff. Yeah. And, you know, I had morning sickness like nausea 24 hours a day. My husband and I decided that in three weeks I had been bitchier to him in three weeks than I had in the previous. <laughs> Sorry, in the pre- that's okay. <laughs> you know, no control over my mouth, and I had I had been bitchier to him in three weeks than I had in the whole previous five years combined. Oh my gosh! Like it was yes. awful. I I hung up the phone on my sister. Um, it was. It was awful. So I phoned my the oncologist and he said, go off of it for a few days and then go back on a half dose. And so I did that while I waited. Um, I'm very grateful they, they did a PET scan, which here you, it has to be presented in front of a committee to get approval to get one. They just don't hand them out. Oh, wow. 
and um, my Oncotype DX score came back as a six, which meant that I didn't, you know, yeah. be, between a zero and 100, I, a six was great. Chemo was not my, not an option. You know, I didn't have to have it. Um, it was a lesson in listening to what my body was telling me. I don't know why that's so hard because I don't hear that kind of no so forcefully very often. Right. But I really had heard it. Good. And, and uh, so I was on the tamoxifen. I continued to have not good side effects, bone pain and fatigue. I already have fatigue from the connective tissue disorder. So did you do the whole five years? I did not last the yep. five years. Um, it started to affect me cognitively. Okay. At work, like one day a coworker came to me and said, you know, if somebody comes to you and they ask these questions, here's the answer. And within 10 minutes, somebody came and asked me those questions. And I had zero, I could not pull up an answer for the life of me. And I went to my computer and I Googled tamoxifen cognitive deficits. And I went, yeah. But I, I, so I went back to the original oncologist. I, I had been on tamoxifen for two years by that time. And I just said, I'm done. I, I can't do this for any longer. Yeah. I told her my reasons. I told her the side effects. And I had zero intention of going on anything that they told me. But again, for whatever reason, I wanted it to look like on paper that I was a compliant patient. And she just said to me, I understand that you gave it the best shot. I was still premenopausal. She said, my feeling is that if it's going to come back, it's going to come back anyway. Tamoxifen will just delay it coming back. And I said, fine, I can live with that. I'm done. Yeah. Quality of life sometimes outweighs the benefit or the perceived benefit of taking the medications um yes in my opinion just i i agree yeah yeah sometimes we just have to really be you know mindful and open to listening to what our bodies are telling us and your body was clearly sending you a sign that's saying you know this isn't right for you um mm -hmm. so good for you i mean there are a lot of people you know we want to be compliant right we want to you know, we don't ever want somebody to come back and say, well, you didn't do this. And so that's why this, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to make those decisions sometimes because it's what's expected, you know, oh, if you have ERPR, then you do this. Um, so really good for you for making that choice to advocate for yourself. Why is it so hard? Why do we need to be seen as a compliant? Why did I need to be seen as a compliant patient? I, I wish I wish there wasn't that in a system. Mm -hmm. I wish we could just say how it was That's or it. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, wish, um, I wish that it wasn't just cookie cutter, right? Like just maybe, maybe we try it and if it doesn't work, then there's then there's some consideration for something else or nothing. You know, mm -hmm. it's not everybody's body responds the same way to the medication. And it's really challenging when there's one. Yes. <laughs> like there's just one. I mean, there's genuinely not one. Um, 
you know, I have a, I have a friend who's a nutritionist who has an alternative. Um, but you know, medically there's one, one option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they had told me that, you know, by the time I went through menopause, it would be pointless to put me back on the options that were for postmenopausal women. Right. And I had no intention of trying them anyway, but um, I felt like, I don't know, I guess I felt like if I ever had cancer again, they could see I was partially, you know, compliant. (laughs) I don't know. No, I hear you. Why why should that even affect anything? I have no idea. I know. I know. um, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And Um, I bet you... And this sounds awful. I bet you men don't even think twice about it. Probably not. Go, yeah, I know. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Like, and it's no. not held Sorry. against them. No, no. I know. I hear you. Well, I want to, um, I just want to say thank you so much um, for sharing your story. I, um, I feel like I was on the roller coaster ride with you, um, even though it was, you know, 2012. I, I just can't imagine, um, and I know that a lot of our listeners um, are gonna, you know, or have had that same experience with that roller coaster ride because that's that's a hard one. Um, so I, I mean, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your story um, and just being with me today and and being open to being real and honest. Um, that it's not all pink ribbons and, you know, hope and flowers and unicorns or whatever. Um, you know, that there is a dark side to this and it's, and it's not always pretty. It isn't. And I just thank you. It's a gift to be able to share with somebody who knows what it's like to go through it and can bear witness to the, the hard stuff. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.